0: your church. While the kids are making their way back, I wanted to uh, point your attention to one event, not in the bulletin, not anywhere around here where you could see it. Uh, But this week, I went into a local restaurant to have lunch, uh, discipleship lunch with someone, And I saw Dave McKinley, the lead pastor over at Central Schwenkfelter Church. Also with them were two other guys. One of them was one of their worship leaders. And they reminded me that they have a a multi-church worship night where churches of the area of like mind could come together. That's this Friday night over at Central Central Schwenkfelter Church. You don't have to know how to spell it or say it. Uh, But if you want to look that up online, find out when it is, I'd encourage you to go. I think it's called Singing and Grinning uh, because we're singing worship songs to the Lord and we'll be grinning because uh, it's good news that we sing when we worship. In light of that, let me pray uh, for their church this morning. Lord, thank you for gospel preaching churches in our area. You reminded me of Central Schwenkfelter Church. And we just ask now that as they gather for worship... The worship from their lips would reach your ears because of what Jesus Christ has done for them. That as the gospel is preached from your word, that hearts would be changed and lives would be changed for Christ and for your kingdom. Thank you for their church. We lift them up this morning. And as they pray for us as well, we just thank you for your gospel changing lives all over the world. Not just in Montgomery County, but all over the world. Many are singing your praises because of what you have done through Christ. It's in his name we thank you and pray. Amen. Well, there are really only two options in this world for your heart, for your home, for your business, for your state, for your country and for the world. You can have Christ or you can have chaos. Those are the two choices. If you have Christ in your heart, you'll have peace. If you don't, you will have chaos. Christ or chaos. It's not a phrase that I came up with, uh, but I've heard this phrase used. And as soon as I heard that phrase, you can have Christ or chaos. I think there's even a book called that. I knew that is a really good way to describe what an individual heart or a community or any body of people for any reason can have. You can have Christ or you can have chaos. Every country can have Christ or chaos, every state, every family, every heart. As we look at Hosea and go through our study of the book of Hosea, we're almost finished, just a few weeks left. In Hosea's day, the nation of Israel rejected God, and so they had chaos. I haven't talked to anyone in the past few years who thinks that what's going on in our country right now is pretty sensible. (laughs) Everyone agrees there's chaos I think there was something close to uh, 70% of Americans think our country is headed in the wrong directions. It's a bipartisan agreement that there is chaos. And our country, as a country, uh, is not given to Christ. We've rejected Christ, and so we have chaos. And chaos has consequences, and here are the consequences. For every heart, every home, every state, every country... If you have Christ, you don't have chaos, but if you have chaos, you will have consequences. And here are the consequences. If you reject Christ, you have chaos and you will have hate and injustice. That's what you'll have. If you have Christ in your heart, in your home, in your city, in your state, in your business, you will have love and justice. Those are the two choices. We will see it clear as day in Hosea chapter 12. If you have your Bible with you, will you please turn with me to Hosea, chapter 12. We're going to see that if you reject God, if you reject Christ, you'll have chaos. Otherwise, if you have Christ, you will have love and justice. We're actually going to start in the last verse of chapter 11. So Hosea 11, verse 12, and then we'll read through all of chapter 12 this morning. I'm going to start out by only reading Hosea eleven twelve, 12, and then the first verse of Hosea 12. Before I read, let me pray one more time. Lord, this is your holy word, and you change lives through it. So may every word that comes out of my mouth be from you for us, your children, for our good and your glory. Thank you. For this feast, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hosea chapter 11, verse 12, and then the first verse of chapter 12. This is the glorious word of our Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind... And pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt. How are things going in Israel when Hosea was sent by God in the eighth century BC to prophesy to the people? Things were not going. Well, they had financial and harvest prosperity in their land, but it was a national downward moral spiral. I know that's going to take some imagination to picture. <laughs> national downward moral spiral. I mean, everyone agrees that's what's happening even in our own country. That was what was happening in Israel, a downward national moral spiral and it was brought on by israel's behavior not their prosperity their behavior their actions their rejection of god and their bowing to other gods in their culture and in the cultures around them that brought the national downward moral spiral and god says when a country becomes like that here's what it's like look at verse one again of chapter 12. Ephraim, you'll remember, is another nickname for Israel, the northern kingdom, when Israel was divided into the north and the south. Israel and Judah, sometimes Israel is called Ephraim. Verse 1, Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. All right, they are feeding on the wind. They've got prosperity, but they've got this national moral decay going on around them. And Hosea, by God's words through him, says it's like trying to eat the wind. Now, I looked at the forecast earlier this week. It was supposed to be a windy day. Don't spend too much time during the sermon looking out, but I can see the branches blowing in the wind. Go outside later today and try and eat the wind. Are you going to be well fed? And it says they are, they're chasing the east wind all day long. Go outside, if you're a kid, go outside today and try and play a game of tag with the wind. Tag, you're it. No tag backs. Can you catch the wind? What's the point of that language? You're eating the wind. You're trying to catch the wind. It's useless. You're wasting your time. You can't do anything. Even if you've got prosperity and you've got a good harvest, if you've run from God, it's like chasing the wind. They are wasting their time. And look at what they were doing while they were wasting their time. The end of verse 1 tells us, "...they make a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt." All right, Assyria is the large growing empire in the 8th century BC. The Assyrian Empire is getting bigger and bigger, taking over other nations, becoming this massive, powerful army. And they're making a covenant With Assyria. So they're saying, Hey, Assyria, you've got a big army. Let's have an arrangement so that you don't take us over. Instead of trusting in God, they were trusting in the size of the army of the Assyrians. And then they had oil arrangements like olive oil and trading goods in the market with Egypt. Well, who was Egypt? Egypt was another place full of false gods. But they thought, Oh, you know what? It would be good to have partnerships with them, to buy and sell goods from them. And when you get into those business arrangements with people who worship another god, sometimes you can get morally compromised. And so they were becoming morally compromised, trusting in their trade with Egypt and in their military arrangements with Assyria. But here's the problem. They were doing that and forgetting who got them to the promised land. Israel was in the promised land at the time. Who were they? They used to be slaves in Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt to the promised land. And now Assyria is coming, getting bigger and bigger. They're going to be sent into exile by the Assyrian Empire, and it's coming soon. But Israel, having been delivered from Egypt and on their way to exile in Assyria, they were in the promised land with the God who got them there. But they forgot who got them there. So they made business arrangements and military arrangements with their enemies who worshipped false gods. They were trusting in their own strength. They had nationally rejected God, so they had chaos, like chasing the wind. That's what happens when we reject God and his word. We'll try to build our life on our own foundation, our own army, our own business, and we'll have chaos. Be careful who you put your trust in For us, God is most clearly revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So what we do is we look at the world around us and we bend our lives towards Christ. We shift our thinking to him. We read his word and we trust this and we don't apologize for it. We've come to love God's word instead of our own word or the word of the world around us. We obey him and not our hearts, which is the God of our country. Obey your own heart because in him is life and hope. And when you worship chaos, you're going to end up with hate and injustice. When you worship Christ, you're going to have love and justice. Now I've said that phrase a few times. You're wondering where I got it from. It comes from our next section. It's in Hosea 12 verses 2 through 6. There's a shift in the tone of Hosea to courtroom language. So now let's see what God has to say. Hosea 12 starting in verse 2. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, so now we're talking about one of the patriarchs in Israel's history a long time ago before this, Jacob, representing Israel as a whole. Verse 3 In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. They've trusted other gods. They've put their strength in their army and in their business, not in God. And they have chaos in the land. And the call from Hosea, the call from God, is come back to God and live lives of love and justice. So verse 2, God says he has an indictment against them. That's courtroom language. The punishment for your wickedness is coming. There's bloodshed in the streets. I'm not going to let that go forever. He's going to repay them for their national sins. Then verse 3 starts to retell the story of the origin story of Israel. That patriarch, Jacob, uh, to talk about all of Israel as a whole. He's like a placeholder for Israel in chapter 12. You may remember about Jacob that one day God renames him Israel. So Jacob gets renamed Israel, and that's where the nation of Israel gets their name. Jacob has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. So when we're talking about Jacob, it's talking about Israel. We find out that when Jacob was born, he chased after his brother even out of the womb. You remember the story? He's grabbing his twin brother's heel on the way out of the womb. He's a Jacob. Jacob means come from behind and try and get ahead. Come from behind and try to grab. He was being a Jacob. He was being an overtaker. He's a heel grabber. As he grows up, he tricks his brother Esau out of his birthright, and then he tricks his father, too. He's a trickster. He's a liar. He's a schemer. He's a grabber. He's going to try and get ahead in his own strength. Run from behind and catch him and grab him and sneak up on him. He was a Jacob. And God is saying, Israel, that's who you used to be. Remember who you were growing up. But then you grew up and then you wrestled with God and then you were blessed by him. Look at verse three. And in his manhood, he strove with God. You remember the story of Jacob wrestling with an angel of God. Verse four continues that he strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. That Bethel is the Jacob's ladder dream he has. But that first event is really important. Jacob wrestles with an angel. It comes in Genesis chapter 32. You don't have to turn there. But God's telling the origin story of Israel for a reason. And he says, Jacob, the patriarch of Israel, one of the patriarchs, he wrestled with an angel. Do you remember what was going on at the time? Jacob and Esau were at odds, and Esau had an army. And Jacob and Esau were going to meet each other. And Jacob's afraid, because his brother Esau has an army. So God steps in, sends an angel. Jacob wrestles with the angel. And the angel, in the middle of the wrestling, messes up Jacob's hip. And then the angel says, now let me go. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And then the angel threw What God is doing says, all right, you're going to be blessed. The angel blesses him. God blesses Jacob, and then he gets his new name. Your new name, now that you've grown up, you're no longer going to be a Jacob. You're going to be Israel, which means God prevails. God prevails. You're no longer going to be known as the heel grabber, the schemer, the thief, the one who's going to try and get ahead in your own strength. You're going to be known by my name. God prevails. His descendants are going to make it into the promised land and show the world that God is greater than all the false gods. Why is God telling the story of Jacob through Hosea so many years after it happened? Here's why. Because the people of God forgot who they were. And they forgot who God was. Why is Hosea reminding them, you used to be Jacob, you used to be a heel grabber, you used to be a schemer? Because they're currently acting like it. They're acting like thieves, they're acting like schemers, they're acting like heel grabbers. They're trying to get ahead by going to Assyria and Egypt instead of going to God and remembering that Israel means God prevails. They forgot who they were, and they forgot who God was. They forgot that God is the only true God. God is the only way you can have hope in your home, in your business, in your marriage, in your relationships, with your parents. God is our only place of refuge. Egypt's merchants cannot do what God can do. Assyria's army is not so big that God cannot defeat them. But they were putting their trust in Egypt and Assyria and not God. They had forgotten to just be children of God. They were trying to be God themselves. So they're reminded of their name in Hosea. You're Israel now. Your God prevails. Stop trying to do it all on your own. And then they're reminded of God's name. Verse 5, the Lord, the Lord, the God of hosts. The Lord is his memorial name. God has hosts. He has armies. He has angels. He has power. He spoke the world into existence. And they were looking at the size of the Assyrian army saying, oh no, we need a covenant with them. They forgot that God has an army of angels much bigger than anything we'll face this week. So it's God or chaos for us on this side of the cross. It's Christ or chaos. That's what we can have in our hearts, in our homes, and in our land. Remember who you are. And now verse 6 starts to make a little bit more sense, doesn't it? Verse 6 again. The call to Israel to come back. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. If you want to live a life of love and justice, you cannot do it yourself. When you run from God, you will engage in things that are hate and injustice. Justice. When you run from God's word, you will define love differently than he does, and you will define justice differently than he does. You will not have love or justice when you live your life apart from God. You will have hate and injustice. God is calling them to these two really powerful, helpful Hebrew words. The word love there is chesed. You don't have to say it. But it's a famous Hebrew word. It means steadfast love. God says you've forgotten to live with my kind of love. My love is reliable. My love is trustworthy. My love is when I give it. I don't expect anything in return. I give it because I am someone who loves. It's steadfast love. It's the love we've received from Jesus Christ. When he did for us on the cross. What we could not do for ourselves. You have received Steadfast love. Come back to God so that you may again live lives of chesed. Steadfast love. And then the justice word is mishpat. It means judgment and it means justice. It means judgment. So a correct understanding of right and wrong. And it means calling sin, sins. And calling goodness, goodness. Justice and judgment. He says come back to love and truth. If you don't have love and truth, you can't have either. So God is saying the recipe for you, for Israel in their day, and for you today. If you want to have a healthy family, if you want to have a healthy mind that's not at chaos, if you want your workplace, if you want your neighborhood to be full of love and justice, you need God to do it. You can't have love or justice unless you have both, and you can't have either unless you have God, who defines those words. Let me say it again. You can't have love or justice without both, and you can't have either unless you have God, who defines those terms for us. We can't build a society without the one true God. It's just not possible. Looking out at the secular experiment that our country has tried for our generation, it is is over. It has failed. We have tried to say, let's build a whole country without a God. But there's always a God. The new God in our country is the God of self. I'll define love. I'll define justice for myself. And you try and build a whole society of that. You can't do it. You can't do it. You Try and build a home without God defining love and justice. You can't do it. In our country, how much destruction has come? Because we've rejected God and his definition of love and justice. How much confusion, how much hurt, how many people are hopeless? On top of that, we have imbalances of love and justice. And this gets into churches too. It's very tempting for churches to want to only talk about love and never talk about sin and justice and truth. And then you have other churches, and they're like, all they talk about is justice. Everyone's a sinner. Look at how bad everyone else is. And they've totally forgotten the love. But with God, who defines love and justice for us, we can have love and justice. You need both, and you can't have either, unless you're worshiping God in spirit and truth. Churches who say, you know, God, let's not talk about sin. Let's just love everyone. Let's not talk about the truth. Let's just love everyone. They're actually hating their neighbor because they're unwilling to give them truth and justice. And then the churches that talk all about the sins of our country, all about the evil out there, and they forget the love, they're actually hating their neighbor too because they've forgotten that love is the thing that God uses to change hearts. So we need love and justice. Your family needs God and love and justice to be healthy. Your heart needs God and love and justice or you'll have chaos. Your neighborhood needs it. Right now, what does Russia have? Nothing. Global embarrassment. They have rejected as a nation God. And their leader doesn't have love or justice. He's not getting his definitions of love and justice from God. And what are they going to have? Chaos. How's it going for Russia right now? Chaos. What are they going to have this week? More chaos. God, love, and justice. If you don't have God, you can't have truth. If you don't have truth, you can't have justice. And if you aren't interested in justice, calling sins what they are, you can't have love. That's what we need. God and love and justice to be healthy. Israel tried to do it without God, and they had chaos. They had chaos. And no one was having fun. Everyone was miserable. We see that they forgot that you can't build a society or a heart on any foundation other than God. Look at their forgetfulness. It's in verses 7 through 9. Who did they become? Verse 7. A merchant in whose hands are false balances. That's when you lie about the weight of your goods and you're selling it for the wrong price and you're cheating your customers. A merchant in whose hands are false balances, he loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I am the Lord your God. Remember who he is. From the land of Egypt, I will again make you dwell in tents, as in the days of the appointed feasts. I think about this condemnation of Israel and who they had become. A merchant who has no justice, who loves to oppress, who lies about his product, who makes financial gains his God. What's your God? I'll do anything in the name of money. And he ended up hating his neighbor, lying to his customer, acting in hate and injustice because he forgot to worship God in his business. That's who they had become. You can't have love or justice without both, and you can't have either without God. But did they care? They didn't care. Look at verse 8. Look how little they cared. Here's what they said in the face of being called sinners who acted in injustice. Verse 8. Ephraim said, Ah, but I'm rich. I have found wealth for myself. That could probably mean one of two things. It could mean But look at me. I'm doing well for myself. I'm not bad. Things are going well. Look at all this money I've made. Look at how successful I am. Look at how much prestige I have. Look at my CV. Look at how influential. I'm an influencer. Look at me. I'm rich. I found wealth for myself. What did they say? I got my blessings myself. They forgot why they were blessed. They forgot who blessed them. And who was God? Verse 9. He brought them out of Egypt. He's reminding them of the Exodus story. I love that the children's choir sang about the Ten Commandments this morning. You know how the Ten Commandments start, right? It doesn't start with the first commandment. If you read the account of the Ten Commandments, it starts with God saying, I am the Lord your God and I brought you out of Egypt. Now here are the guidelines to live in love and justice with me, I saved you. I delivered you. I took you from slavery to your sins, and I got you to the promised land. But they forgot. They forgot to put God and his law first. What's one of those commandments? Do not steal. But what had Israel become? A land of thieves. Lying in their business and thinking they earned it all themselves, forgetting that God had blessed them. And they doubled down on it. Look at the end of verse 8. In all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I'm not a sinner. I don't need a deliverer. I don't need a provider. I don't need a savior. I did it my way. You know what they were saying? Keep God out of my life. Keep God out of my country. Keep God out of the law. Keep God out of our land. Keep God out of my neighborhood. I don't want to hear about God. I'm not a sinner. I don't need your God. It wasn't long after this that the Assyrian army did come. And in 722 B.C., because they were trusting in Assyria and not God, the northern kingdom was sent into exile. To be slaves again to their sins. They forgot the God who got them there. They took credit for all their blessings. Verse 6. But you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. That was the invitation. And that's the invitation for us. When we worship something other than Christ, we'll have chaos, and then in our lives, in our world, we will have hate and injustice. But if we worship Christ, we will have love and justice. But Israel had forgotten to be Israel. God prevails. And if we're honest, sometimes we forget to just be children of God. Maybe you're at the place where you've built an empire, where you've gotten success, you've gotten popularity at school. Everyone thinks you're cool, but you had to sacrifice your worship and love of God. You had to lie about who you were to get that money, that popularity. You had to cheat in business. You lied on your taxes when you filled them out last week so you can have a couple more dollars. You're trusting in your own strength. It's time to confess that and come back to the Lord and live a life of love and justice, made possible because He's the God of love and justice. Remember who you are, a child of God, if you've called out on his name for salvation. Well, they forgot, and so they had chaos. Now let's end by seeing verses 10 through 14, the rest of our passage. We'll see the conclusion of that court case that was introduced earlier. "'I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions, and through the prophets gave parables. If there is iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing.' In Gilgal, they sacrificed bulls. Their altars also are like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. So their false worship was getting in the way of their harvesting. Verse 12, Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he guarded sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet he was guarded. Ephraim has given bitter provocation, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him. And we'll repay him for his disgraceful deeds. All right, let's look through these verses briefly. Verse 10, God says, I gave you the prophets. I gave you my word. And for us, it's God's word. He gave it to us. He reminds us of his truth every Lord's Day, hopefully every day of the week. You're in God's word, being reminded of his word for us. How to live our lives. Verse 11, you rejected that Israel and you worshiped false gods. Verse 12, Jacob, remember who you were? Remember what you did to get a wife? You became a shepherd. The patriarch Jacob did that to earn for himself the privilege of marriage. And and he used to be a shepherd. But then verse 13 reminds us that God was actually their good shepherd. He provided a better shepherd in the person of Moses. God was with them. He gave them his word. He walked ahead of them. He went before them. He brought them into the promised land. And verse 14 shows us what they thought about God. Verse 14 tells us that they rejected him. So his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. Israel forgot who they were. He forgot to be a child of God. The whole nation forgot to put God first. They chose chaos over God's way. But God was their shepherd and yet they were covered in their sins. As I've said a few times as we've gone through this difficult book, Hosea, isn't it great that Hosea doesn't end here? I'm gonna leave them as a nation who rejected me, and they're gonna end the story covered in their own sins. Isn't it great news that the Bible doesn't end here? It's great news for all of us because God is the true and better shepherd, a much better shepherd than Jacob and a much better shepherd than Moses. And God sends his son Jesus to step into the chaos, the world of hate and injustice, and to take that on himself and to die for it so that our world might not be characterized by chaos. That our homes, our families, our neighborhoods can be characterized by love and justice. So that we could do verse 6. So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. That first line in verse 6 is the most important. So you, by the help of your God, you got to remember that you need God's help to do this. You cannot do it on your own strength. On your own strength, you will become just like Israel, and you'll have a world full of chaos but daily trusting that God can help you do it. We sang, He will hold me fast. Your hope this week for a life full of love and justice is that Jesus will hold you fast. There's your hope. And He doesn't let go of His children. By the help of your God return, we need God's help. What should Israel have done in Hosea when Hosea came to preach? When Hosea came to prophesy, they should have repented of their sins, turned back to God and said, help us, Lord, live lives of love and justice. They didn't. They had hate and injustice in their land, in their business practices, and in their morality, national downward moral spiral. And that's why we needed a Savior, so that we could live lives of love and justice. So what is this going to look like for us this week? I I really wrestled with this this week as I was studying this passage and thinking about all of you and thinking about what is God's message for us? How can we live lives of love and justice this week? Let's get practical. Here's what we learned. You cannot have love or justice unless you have both. And you cannot have love and justice unless you have God who defines love and who defines justice. So first... In your home and in your friendships and in your relationships, you will either have Christ or chaos. And the second thing we'll talk about is how to be a witness to Christ in a world full of chaos. First, if there's chaos in your home, in your heart, or in your friendships and relationships, if you want a Christian home, if you want Christian relationships that matter, they must be characterized by love and justice. And let's say for ease of illustration, love and truth. If you want your marriage to flourish, it must be built on love and how God defines love and justice and truth and how God defines truth. You cannot build a marriage or a parent-child relationship or a friendship with a Christian friend unless you have love and truth. In our marriage uh, class this morning, we filled the room. We're doing a great study of gospel commitments in marriage. The commitment we looked at today was that we in our marriages will build a lifestyle of confession and forgiveness. A lifestyle pattern of confession and forgiveness. We will not lie to our spouses. We will not try to build a marriage on lies. We will not cover over each other's sins and lie about them. We will openly confess when we failed, and we will ask for forgiveness in our marriages. Because the gospel, Jesus has covered those sins so we can bring them up in our marriages and build our marriages on love and truth. If you're building your marriage on a lie, you cannot have love. You can't. Admit your sins, confess when you're wrong, seek forgiveness regularly because in Christ it's already been paid for. If you're building your friendships on fakeness, You're not going to have love. You're not going to get far. You're not going to build one another up. If you're just regularly lying, oh yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Another okay week. Don't ask me too many questions. If you're building your friendships, your Christian friendships on lies, you're not going to be a loving friendship. That's not going to get you anywhere. If you're a teenager and you're lying to your parents all the time and you wonder why you don't feel close to them in love, Because you can't have a relationship of love and justice, truth, unless you have both. So stop lying to your parents. Confess that sin and ask for their forgiveness. And if you've been wondering where the love has gone, maybe it was always there, but you just didn't want to be honest with them. And then you'll find that love you've been hoping for. If you're building your parenting on lies, you won't have love. If you're building your business on lies, you won't have love or justice. It's christ Or chaos in your relationships and in your heart? Christ or chaos? So confess your sins to one another and build all of your relationships and business practices on love and truth. Return to the Lord with His help. You can't do it by yourself. I think that's how we can apply this in our lives, in our homes, in our relationships. But second, we live in a world of chaos, don't we? I don't know anyone who thinks things are just going swimmingly in our country. And there is just a chaos that we are surrounded by. And the biggest source of chaos right now, I don't have to pretend. You don't have to try and guess what I'm talking about. But the biggest source of chaos in our country now surrounds sexuality, doesn't it? There's so much confusion. There is so much harm. There is so much discussion of sexuality. You'll see that discussed on social media this week. It's always in the news. It's in front of the Supreme Court. The justice being uh, vetted right now for Supreme Court is being asked questions about sexuality, gender, things like that. That is where the chaos in the world around us is hottest. Disney's discussing it right now. How are they going to address issues of sexuality in their movies going forward? If we're going to engage in that discussion as Christians... We have to have love and truth. We cannot engage in that discussion with only love. We cannot dis- engage in that discussion with only justice or truth. It must be with love and truth. So two quick stories. About 10 years ago, a man walked into my office, a young man walked into my office. He wasn't a, a regular attender here, but he knew I was a pastor and he wanted to talk. And he came out of the closet and let me know he was gay. He said, that's, that's who I am. But I'm, I'm a Christian, but this is who I think I am. And we had a really long conversation. And in that entire conversation, I knew I needed to love him in Jesus' name and give him God's truth about homosexuality being a sin. I could not just love. I could not just give the truth. I had to characterize that conversation with love and truth. And the conversation was tough, but it went well. And he committed that when he was back home from college break, he would grab a coffee with me. And he did. And we talked again for another hour and a half, two hours. Because he saw in me someone who would represent Jesus Christ, loving him, but also not wavering on God's truth. We must have both in a world of chaos, love and truth. We must. We must. And people will know if we're just giving them love or truth. Because the world around us right now is going to start seeking answers because they've got chaos and we have Christ. Back in October, in one of my sermons, I mentioned a book I was reading. I finished it. It was by Rosaria Champagne Butterfield called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. She has a very strong comment about this mixture of love and truth. She converted to Jesus Christ from the LGBT movement. She was an advocate and an activist. She was a lesbian, and now she is not. And only Christ can do that. We can't change someone's heart. So she now is speaking as an expert on this topic, having been involved in the LGBT lifestyle for so long. She has harsh words for churches that only offer love or only offer truth and not both. She says this, about churches who would downplay the egregiousness of sin. She says this, Sin is not a mistake. A mistake is taking the wrong exit on the highway. A sin is treason against a holy God. A mistake is a logical misstep. Sin lurks in our hearts and grabs us by the throat to do its bidding. She says, remember what God said to Cain about his sin? It's true for us, too. In Genesis, God warns Cain, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. She says this, in accepting misrepresentations of the gospel that render sin anything other than this, you will never learn the fruit of repentance she says churches need to be known for their love of everyone, but their unwavering commitment to the truth, even in a world full of chaos. And that is what led her to the Lord Jesus Christ. A man and a wife loved her for years in the name of Jesus, never once wavering on their commitment to the truth about her lifestyle. They loved her and she saw Jesus in them because they had God and they cared what God thought, so they had love and justice in their testimony. And she has come to know Jesus. We have to offer love and truth in Jesus' name. But I don't want to share just those stories. Jesus does this perfectly, doesn't he? Jesus does this perfectly, doesn't he? You remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4? You remember that story? She was engaged in this lifestyle of sexual sins. Her world was chaos. She was at the well that time of day because she was probably a social outcast because of her sexual sins. Jesus comes to her and he says, I want to give you some better water than you can get out of that well. I want to give you living water. And she says, I want it. I want that love. Give me the living water. But before he says he'll give it to her, he brings up her sexual sins. He says to her, go get your husband. She says, well, yeah, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, that's right. And he rehearses her sins in front of her. Yeah, you've had a lot of husbands. And the one you're with right now isn't even your husband. And they talk, they discuss where she's coming from and the chaos in her life. And he loves her. And at the end, he explains he's the Messiah. He is the hope for her heart. And she believes and she trusts Jesus. And then she goes back to her town. And do you remember her testimony? What was her testimony? Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Well, what had they talked about? The only thing they talked about were her sexual sins. Her testimony was, here is a man who knew I was a sexual sinner. And he still offered me living water. That's how much he loved me. He was honest with me, but he loved me. And he said he would be the Messiah. And she understood one day that he was going to die to make her forgiveness possible. The perfect mix of love and justice that must characterize every relationship, every conversation we have. Her testimony was Jesus knew I was a sinner. And he still offered me living water. He gave her difficult truth and offered her perfect love because he was God. He was love and he was justice. And since the world in Hosea's day was stuck in their sins, Jesus lives this out. He walks into a world full of hate and injustice and he faces it head on and he is hated and he faces injustice and he takes the penalty for our hate and injustice on himself so that we could live lives of love and justice. So that we could do verse 6. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. So that's all we do this week. We look back at the cross and what Jesus has done for us. His act of love and justice for our acts of hate and injustice. So that we, in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our friendships, in our relationships with neighbors and even enemy, could be characterized by His love and His justice for our good and for the glory of Jesus Christ. We can't do it on our own strength. We can only do it by the help of our God. Let's go to him and ask for that help. Let's pray. Lord, we see a world built on chaos in Hosea chapter 12. Because they rejected you and your law, they had no love and no justice in their land. And Lord, we confess that we've all sinned and fallen short of your glory. We've participated in hate and injustice. And yet you sent your son to take that hate and injustice and to die so that our lives could be characterized by love and justice. Teach us how to do that in our marriages. Make our marriages characterized by love and truth. Make our conversations on social media characterized by love and truth. Make our parenting relationships and our relationships with our mothers and fathers be characterized by love and truth. Build your kingdom in our hearts and in our land as we worship you and become characterized by your love and your justice. We know that only you can do it. So by your help, Lord, help us return and live lives of love and justice for our good and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we continue to worship this morning. So we raise right. up. Old. your love and So, so we rage. Israel, in Hosea 12, was a land full of hate and injustice because they had forgotten who they were. They had forgotten God. So their life, their minds, their homes, their neighborhoods, their workplaces were full of chaos. If you want that, walk away from God. But if you want peace and hope and joy and love and truth to characterize your home, your workplace, your marriage, your parenting relationships, your relationship with your parents, your neighborhood, your friendships and everything else, you can have that, but you can't have it in your own strength. You can only have that by returning to God and worshiping Jesus Christ. You can have chaos or Christ, but Christ did the hard part, so you could have peace in your home. If you want to talk about anything we talked about this morning, if you have chaos, you don't have Christ right now, stay and we'll love you and show you that he knows what you've done. And he still offers you living water so you can have peace in your hearts. He will do that for you. Stay and talk about it. We'll point you to the one who made the chaos lose the war because of what Jesus has done. He offers this brothers and sisters, In Christ, I remind you of the words at the end of Jude, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Christ Jesus our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. And God bless you.